um, a few years ago, uh, when I decided to uh, go into ministry, I was really praying through what God was calling me to do. I was in college uh, studying to be a golf professional, believe it or not. Uh, yes, that's a real thing that you can go to college for, and uh, I loved it. Um, you know, I love golf, and so I wanted to be in the golf business. But as I was praying through uh, what ultimately God wanted me to do in life, he kind of led me in a different direction. As I prayed through that uh, calling, just being sure that he was in this and it wasn't just something I, I was imagining up, I started praying with, with family and friends, just to really feel like God calling me into ministry. And so I started praying through that. And uh, I remember when I answered that call and, and decided to transfer to a different school and start studying um, you know, uh, biblical studies and, and investing my life in into being a pastor one day, that, you know, you, you kind of had this kind of dream of what that looks like, you know? So you kind of believe that like you go into ministry and this is kind of what being a pastor means. And I can tell you that once you get into ministry, you're involved in situations that you would never imagine in a million years. There are things that we deal with on a daily basis that you just don't think are part of the job. For instance, overseeing this building process has been a lot of fun. I love learning new things and being a part of that process. Um, but there are things that you learn every single day about that process. Uh, new words that you learn, new things that are part of, of growing into that role of, b- of building this new facility. For instance, uh, one of the words that we had to, to, to learn about very early on, one of the first things I did on that land was called demucking. How many of you guys know what demucking means? Yeah, I, I had no idea. So I just sat and I'm being like, yeah, we need to start off with demucking. I'm like, oh yeah, you got to go out and demuck for sure. I mean, that's a lot of demucking going on out there in the the property there. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I was like, for those in the room that don't know what demucking means, why don't you just explain it to us? And so they kind of went through what that process is. But basically, here's the idea, is that before you can even lay the foundation of a building, you have to have good soil. And so they go through and they test the soil where the building is going to go, and they dig up parts. And, and one part of our property is, how many of you guys have lived in Jupiter Farms for a while, by the way? You guys know that all those empty lots become the dumping ground for everybody else in Jupiter Farms? So like, we, when we bought the property, there were like boats on our property, and there was all this other stuff. So we had to get all that stuff out of there, but also stuff underground that we found. We found concrete and rebar and all this stuff that we have no idea how it got on the property. But basically, to demuck the property, they dig up all the bad soil, and they just dump fresh, good soil in that place. So you have good soil to lay the foundation of your building. So you have to have this basis of good soil before you can even pour the foundation. And it's the same thing in our life, is that we have a basis for our faith, and that's the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross, and that is the basis of our faith. Without that, there is no faith, there is no hope, there's nothing to trust in, but the fact that he gave his life for us is the reason we can have hope and the reason we have faith. And then from there, we build a foundation, which is what Peter's going to talk about in today's text. So just like building a physical building, we build our life on faith. And what we build our faith upon makes a difference. For instance, Jesus uh, gave a parable about two foundations, and he said the wise man built his house upon the rock. And so when we build our faith upon God and his word and his commands in our life, we are building it upon the rock. But he said the fool built his house upon what? Sand. And so it says when the storm came and started battering the house, it says that the wise man who built his house upon the rock, his withstood the storm. But it said the, the, the fool who built his house upon the sand, it said the waves crashed, eroded it, and eventually it collapsed. And in the same way for us is life. When we, we put our trust and our hope in God and we build our life, our foundation upon the rock, our life will withstand the storms. But then when we build our house upon the sand, it says that we, it'll collapse and erode. So we have to build our life upon faith in God. We have to build our life upon the stories that he gives us and claim those as we move forward 
and grow in our faith. But the thing I love about that is not only does building a life on the rock help us, but it doesn't say that if a storm comes, it says when the storm comes, your faith will be there on the other side. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through persecution. You're going to face tough times where you don't know and don't feel like God's going to show up, but God is there. And it says when you build your faith upon the rock, when we build it upon him, your faith will withstand those storms. And so today's text, 2 Peter, Peter is writing a letter to believers. So it's important to note that he's writing it to the early church, to those people that he administered to. And he is writing this letter because he is dealing with influences that are coming up from within the church. First Peter, he wrote to believers, and it was about outside influences trying to affect the early church. So persecution and things that were affecting the church. But then before he dies, he says, I need to write one more letter because you're starting to see all these false teachings that are creeping up from within. And I can tell you as a pastor, these are the ones that concern us the most because they kind of look good and they kind of look right. Like maybe there's something to this and they kind of creep up from the inside the church. So people begin to put their faith and trust in that, but it's a false teaching or it's a false doctrine. So Peter says, I need to take time to address these before I leave this earth. He knew he was going to die. So he said, I got to write this letter to address those false teachings coming up from within the church. And so that's what today's text is dealing with. But Peter was a man that I feel like we can all relate to. I love Peter because I can see myself in Peter's life. And I think all of us can relate to Peter on some level. He was just a guy, a fisherman that was out fishing one day and Jesus comes and says, I want you to drop everything and follow me. And so he says, okay. And so he leaves his job, he leaves his family and decides to follow Jesus and his ministry and becomes one of his main disciples. Then we see in Matthew chapter 14, it says that Peter sees Jesus walking on water and says, I want to step out of the boat and come to you. And he does it. He steps out and literally walks on water towards Jesus. He has great faith in Jesus. And in Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He was the first person to tell Jesus, I believe you are the Savior, I believe you are the Son of God, that you are here as the Messiah to save us. And Jesus says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so he had great, great faith and trust in Jesus. He also had a bit of an attitude. I think some of us can relate uh, to that anger issue. It says that when Jesus was arrested, he grabbed a knife and he cut off the ear of the Roman soldier, trying to set Jesus free. So sometimes his attitude, his anger got the best of him. Again, we can relate to that. But we also know that Peter wasn't perfect, much like many of us. You see, before Jesus was arrested, he goes to Peter and he tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, I would never do that. I love you, Lord. I would never do that. But of course, we know the story. It says before, after he's arrested, but before the morning, it says that Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. They say, you're one of his disciples. He says, not even know the man. And then the rooster crows and it says that Peter ran away and wept. And so he was this kind of idea of great faith. He literally walked on water. Yet when he was asked, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, no, I don't even know who Jesus is. I don't know what you're talking about. So, so many of us go through this life and we think that, you know, I give my life to Jesus and I'm just on this path of spiritual growth. And one day we're going to get to heaven and things are all great. But the fact is, life is full of ups and downs in our life and in our faith, where we, we trust God and we're in the mountaintop, and then we have these valleys. And so I talked to our creative team this week. I said, I want you to create an illustration for me. I want you to spend some time investing in this. And so he, here's the illustration they come up with to describe your life. This is why they get paid the big bucks, because it's awesome. But this looks like our life. You see, we give our life to Jesus. 
okay? And you start kind of climbing towards the mountaintop, right? You're praying, you're in the word, you're connecting with people, you're in a small group, you're serving, whatever it is you're doing, you're investing your life in your faith. But then something happens. It could be something bad that happens to you or a family member. It could be something that rocks your faith. It could be a situation that comes up and you kind of start that downward slide in your life. And all of a sudden you get into the valley where you're praying and God's not answering the prayers the way you want them to be answered. And you don't feel like he's listening to you and you're struggling to get into the word and you're struggling to get up and get out and get to that group and get to church on Sunday because you're in that valley. You're going through a bit of depression and you're just struggling with where you're at in life. But the good thing is for you and for me and for Peter, you know, life doesn't have to end in the valley. When we build our faith upon the rock, we will withstand the storm, get through on the other side, and your faith begins to increase. We look back on the God stories and remember how God showed up in our life and remember he's going to show up again. We've got to make it through these valleys as they come because they will come. And so our path towards spiritual maturity doesn't just go up, but it's a slow increasing, going up and down, up and down, up and down towards spiritual maturity. So Peter puts his faith, he runs away, and then he comes back. His story didn't end with running away and crying and denying Jesus. But it says on the day of Pentecost, he walks out and he preaches the gospel and thousands upon thousands of people give their life to Christ because of Peter. And he just is obedient. He goes out and preaches the gospel. So his faith began to increase. And just like us, our life will be up and down, but as a constant progressing upwards. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us why he wrote this this passage of Scripture. If you jump down beyond where we're going to study today, in verse 12, he says this. He says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you, I consider it right, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. He says, my job here before I leave is to remind you and remind you and remind you about what it takes to grow in your faith. And so he says, I'm writing you this letter so that when I'm gone, he knew he was dying soon, they were going to kill him. He says, I want you to remember. And so as many times as we've heard these things, we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of how and what we need to do to be growing in our faith. It is a step-by-step process. I was reading an article this week, actually, that talked about the three steps towards mastering any skill. And it said the first step is information. You've got to read, study, understand what that skill is and how to get good at it. And the second thing we do is repetition. We repeat, 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 and you keep ingraining that skill and getting better and improving. You'll fail some, you'll do great, but it's a constant process of repetition until finally the third step is master. You've mastered that skill, and it's the same way in our faith. We have to read God's word. We have to study it. We have to be in church and groups. We're learning about these things. We're gaining the information, and then we're putting it into practice. We're having actions that follow and flow out of that knowledge, and we are continually repeating these things in our life until we finally master it. And it's an endless pursuit in our life of pursuing Jesus and being like Christ. And so it's a constant process of repetition. We need to keep reminding ourselves, as Peter said here, of what processes we need to go through to continue to grow in our faith. But like I said, it's step by step. All of us are in a different place in our faith right now. Some of you guys may be at the very 
you know, beginning of your faith in Jesus. Some of you guys may not have even taken that step yet. But some of you guys have taken that step. And last week we had 23 people at Carlin Park go public with their profession of faith through baptism. It was awesome. One of my favorite things to be a part of here is seeing people, people profess their faith through baptism. 23 people took that step last week. But for some of you guys in here, maybe that's your step. Maybe it's, I need to find my place to serve. I need to start giving. I need to, God's calling you to some great step of faith as a person or as a family. But what is God calling you to do? What is your next step of faith? It is a patient progression. Just like physical growth is slow, so is spiritual growth. You have to be patient. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter, as any good Baptist preacher does, he gives us three solid points through this passage of Scripture. And so I really appreciate Peter doing this. If you grew up in the Baptist church, you know you show up on, show up on Sunday, the pastor gives you those three points, then you can go home. After that, Peter does that perfectly right for us here in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's jump in. Chapter 1, verse 1, and he says this. Simon Peter, underline a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have underlined received the faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so the first point he gives us are three very important reminders of the very basis of our faith. So before we can pour the foundation, he gives us the very basis of our faith. Number one, Peter reminds us that faith starts with serving others. Faith starts with serving others. It's not about me, but it's about investing in other people. He says, Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I literally exist to serve Jesus and to serve his church. The idea of a bond servant comes from the Old Testament. The idea was people would uh, be indebted to uh, other people. And what they could do is actually go work for that person and, uh, and work off their debts. And so they would work for them for a, series, a number of years. And once their debt was paid off, they would, the debt would be written off and they could go back uh, to life as it was before. But the idea of a bond servant is this, that on the back end of that, if you say, you know what, I really have nothing to go back to and this guy's treating me pretty well, you can become a willing participant or a willing slave to that master. And so you go to the courts and they pierce your ear and you're kind of marked as a willing servant of your master. And so Peter says, I am a willing servant of Jesus Christ and his church and his people. And so it starts with serving others. And Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 10. He says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. And if they're strong and powerful, they make sure you know about it. But he goes on to say this, but it is not that way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. It's so contradictory to what the world tells us, that money and power, that's what we need to live for. But Jesus says, nope, forget all of it. You want to be great, serve. Serve me, serve your church, serve those around you, serve your unsaved friends. We are called to serve people. On your outline number two, the second thing that uh, Peter tells us in this introduction is he reminds us that salvation is given and not earned. It is given and not earned. He says, to those who have received a faith, and this is outlined so simply in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is a free gift. Jesus died and was crucified. He rose again. He's coming back one day. And all you need to do is believe it. Reach out and take it. It is yours for free, no strings attached. It is a free gift. And he says, for those of you that have received this faith, 
And today's teaching is about what we do with that. Once you have set that basis and put it into place, what now as a believer? How do we continue to build upon that faith? And then right along lines with that, number three, the third thing Peter reminds us is that Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Without Christ, again, there is no faith. There is nothing to put our hope in. And Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. And upon him, we build our faith. He is our rock. And so Peter goes on for the second point of his sermon today, and he lays out the two parts of our foundation. You see, there are two parts so to grow in our faith. There are two things that we need to put together to build a firm foundation. The first part of our foundation is God's provision. God's provision. You see, before we even step out, we give our life to Christ. It says God's going to give you some tools to equip you and empower you to grow in your faith. So starting in verse 3, Peter says this, seeing that underline his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence. So the first thing God gives you is we have access to his power. We have access to his power. He says, I'm literally going to supply you with all that you need, all the strength that you need, all the power that you need to make it through the day. There are days where we wake up and we say, I just can't do it today. And Jesus says, that's perfect because I want you to lean on me and I want you to trust in my strength and I want you to trust in my power. The fact is, in John 15, 5, Jesus put it this way. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. He says, we have to do this together. We have our part, but he says, in order to do that, I'm going to supply you the strength to make it. When you're walking through that tough time and that trial and you're failing to see where God is, he says, he's there supplying you the power and strength to make it through the day, to make it through the trial, to make it through that situation. And in fact, the word power there's the word dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamite. So we're talking about a great force and is defined as a miraculous power or ability, abundance or mighty strength. And as he is preparing to ascend back into heaven in the book of Acts, it says that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As believers and followers of Christ, you have the same powers and abilities that Jesus had. It is tapping into his power and relying upon his power to bring us through each situation, not relying on what I can do, not relying on my own strength, but fully putting our trust in his strength and power. And the great thing is it's not just a nice thought. It's not something just to talk about and read about. You have his power to strengthen you. He says, I'm giving you my power to make it through the day. So when we say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's saying you can do all things through me who strengthens you. I give you the strength to accomplish these things. And then Peter goes on in verse 4 and it says, For by these things he has granted to us, underline his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become, underline, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the first thing God provides for us is his power. The second thing he gives us is the guarantee of his promises. The guarantee of his promises. We can tell a lot about somebody's faith by what they believe in God's promises. See, a lot of us are unbelieving believers. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he was? But that's kind of where it stops. God says, look, I gave you a whole book full of promises. These are all of the benefits that as a follower of God, 
when we give our life to Christ that are available to us as believers. There's a whole list of them, but we fail to have faith that God actually wants to provide for us. He wants to bless us. He wants to heal us. He wants to protect us. When we're going through a tough time and we're discouraged, Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is a promise that we have from God that he will sustain you even when we're sad, when we're going through a tough time, he will sustain us. When we're asking for protection, in Psalm 34, 7, one of my favorite promises says, for the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and rescues them. Claim it. God gave you the promise. He says, I will protect you. There are angels encamping around you as a believer. You have to believe it. When we're praying for healing, and I know there are some of you in this room right now that are praying, believing God to heal. Psalm 103, verses 2 and 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives you of all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Exodus 15, he says, For I am the Lord that heals you. There are benefits to our faith. And these are the very basis of our foundation. When he says, when you give your life to me, here's immediately what you get. You get access to God's power, and you get access to my promises. These are the things that I want to do for you, and these are the things that are going to carry us through those tough times that we will face in life. And we can go on and on and on with these promises. And some of you guys have already got this list before, but if you've never gotten our list of promises, here's what I want you to do on your connection card. I want you to write the word promises. If you've never gotten our promises, we'll email them to you this week. Pastor Dan keeps a running list, and, uh, and we want to send that to you. So that as you're praying through a situation, when you're facing something, you have these promises to look to and pray through. So why does he give us these promises? It goes on in verse 4 to say, so that we can become partakers of his divine nature. He gives them to us so that we can live life with him in cooperation with him. A partaker is a sharer, a companion, a partner. We partner with him in victory over sin. We partner with him in strength and empowerment through his spirit. And we become part of his nature. You know, birds fly because their nature created them to fly. Fish swim because it's their nature to swim around in the water. Just like a believer, when it says we become partakers of his nature, we start to act like him. We long for what's pure. And it says we have escaped the corruption of the world because we are living in his nature through his power and through his promises. We are partnering with him. And this leads us to the second part of our spiritual foundation. You see, the first part is his provision, his power, his promises. But the second part is our responsibility. Our responsibility. It says, I'm going to give you the power and strength to make it, but here's where your part comes in. Beginning in verse 5, he says, Now for this very reason also, underline applying all diligence. This literally translates to make every possible effort or intensively exert yourself. It's not going to be easy. You're not going to sit back and things are just going to happen. But it says you are going to give everything you've got to building your faith. We're going to lean on his power to sustain us and make it through. We're going to trust on his promises to get us there. But we have to put the effort Forward, We can't sit back and let the worm come to us. We've got to go get it. And so there's our responsibility. It takes cooperation with him. And Peter goes on in verses 5 through 7. He's going to give us seven things that we need to do 
in order to continue building our faith. And this is kind of building a bridge from spiritual infancy to maturity. And again, this doesn't happen overnight. This is a process that we go through through our entire life. But he says, once you get this one, you're going to step on to the next one. Once you get that one, you're going to step on to the next one and continue to grow in your faith. And so with your pen in hand, starting in verse 5, here are the seven things that Peter tells us to build our faith. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply, underline, moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, underline knowledge. And in your knowledge, underline self-control. And in your self-control, underline perseverance. And in your perseverance, underline godliness. And in your godliness, underline brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, underline love. It says that's kind of the process that you will walk through as a believer. You're going to go up and down, and you'll have mountaintops, and you'll have valleys, but these are the bridge that you need to build in your life to build a sustainable, lifelong faith. And so real quickly, I wanted to walk through each one of these points. The first one, he says, to faith supply moral excellence. And that's doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. Doing the right thing regardless of the outcome. And some of you guys work in the business world every single day where you have to make decisions. Am I going to make the right decision, even though it might cost me? Or am I going to make the wrong decision and try and get ahead? You see, integrity ultimately is, is your call. Your word is your word. Can you be a trusting person? Do you say what you mean? And do people trust you or do you lack integrity? We're not talking about situational ethics where I'm going to apply it here and I'm not going to apply it here. No, it's building your life, establishing your faith. The first step is on integrity and moral excellence. You see, we're born with a sin nature. When we're born, we, we desire to sin. You're, you're kind of, it's naturally ingrained in you. For instance, uh, you know, when you have kids and they come walking out of the kitchen with popsicle all over their mouth and you say, did you eat that popsicle? What's their answer? No, no it wasn't me. We are, they're born with that ability to lie. And so it's our job to kind of train them and, and lead them to and help, help them realize the, what they're doing. But I've always wondered as a parent, by the way, a little side note, why do we ask them that question anyways? It's like I'm trying to like corner them into, like, I know, watch this, they're going to lie. You ready? You know, and you ask them the question. But the fact is they're born with that ability to lie. And we all are. We all have that ability but we need to do the right thing regardless of the outcome. The first step of establishing our faith is having moral excellence. Then it says to moral excellence, add knowledge. Knowledge, and that's spending time in God's word. Spending time in God's word. And again, some of you guys are like, I, you know, I don't need to worry about that. But I guarantee you a lot of us in here, this is one of our great struggles, is praying, talking to God, and spending time in his word on a consistent basis. You see, to grow in our faith, we have to understand who God is. We have to understand what he provides for us. We have to understand his commands. We have to know about our faith. And we do that by studying his word. And so for some of us in here, we need to be reminded that I need to be in God's word every single day. And for some of us, like I said, that's a struggle. So here's what I'm going to ask on your connection card. If you're struggling with your time in God's word, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the word Bible on your connection card. And we're going to walk through a 30-day reading plan together. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to send you guys an email with a 30-day reading plan. We're not talking about like read your whole Bible in 30 days. We're talking about manageable chunks of Scripture. Just to get you kick-started in your knowledge of God's Word. And we're going to do this together. And so write Bible in your connection card. I will reach out to you. I'll check in with you. And we're going to walk through the next 30 days together, increasing our knowledge in God's Word. You see, our mission as a church is very simple. 
is helping people grow in their relationship with Jesus through the teaching of God's word. When Pastor Dan came here over 20 years ago, started this church, it was on the simple basis that we're just going to teach God's word. That's what we're going to do. It's why we exist, because we want people to grow in their faith. And so we have to have a knowledge, a basis to grow our faith on. The third thing he says is we need to have self-control. And that is making the wise choice and not the emotional choice. We have to make the wise choice and not the emotional choice. And this is very difficult for a lot of us. Self-control is not easy. I enjoy uh, good food. I don't know if any of you guys are with me on that one, but I enjoy, I enjoy good food. So the other day we had some friends over and they brought this bag of kettle corn. I love like salty sweet especially. So good. So they brought this bag of kettle corn. So I pop it open. I'm just sitting there eating this popcorn. And as I'm getting deeper and deeper into the bag, I looked at my wife and I was like, you literally got to take this out of my presence right now because I do not have the control to stop eating this bag of popcorn because it was so good. And so she took it away and she, she shoved it in a corner somewhere and uh, we stopped. But I literally lacked self-control when it came to that popcorn. But it's the same way in life is that there are situations that we will be in that we know we can't control ourselves. There are temptations you're going to face, situations you'll be in. And so you have to build a faith on the rock that will stand those temptations, but we also have to have a community of people around us that are there to support you. When you know you're going to struggle, that you can lean on and say, I need your help to hold me accountable to bring me through this situation. We have to have self-control because, again, the world will tell you this is what you want, but we have to lean on him and his promises and not trust what the world wants. And Proverbs puts it this way. It says, like a city whose walls are broken, broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The fourth thing Peter tells us we need in our faith is perseverance. Perseverance. Stand your ground no matter the opposition. Stand your ground no matter the opposition. Like I said, you're going to face storms, you're going to face trials, you're going to face persecution. It is a part of being a follower of Christ. And we're going to talk more about this next week. So I won't spend much time there, but you've got to stand your ground no matter what the opposition. The fifth thing he says is godliness. Godliness. That's having a reverence for God. Having reverence for God. We need to align our hearts with his will. We need to do what he wants, not what I want, okay, but trusting in him and his plan for your life. And you see, oftentimes we look at the, the spiritual people in our life, and they're the ones that can pray uh, you know, these big fancy prayers. They're the ones that can say the fancy words. They've memorized the scripture, and they can do all these great things, and they are the spiritual giants in our life. But the Bible paints a different picture, and I love this passage. In the book of James, chapter 1, here's what it says. It says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. He says, if you want to be a champion of the faith, you want to be a spiritual giant, he says, forget that. He goes, put your faith into action. He says, go out and love my people. When people are hurting, you need to be the ones to reaching out to them and loving them. He says, that is genuine faith. That is what it's all about. It's not about memorizing God's word, but it's putting it into action. Faith requires action. I don't know if the Holy Spirit speaks through fortune cookies or not, but this week I was eating some Chinese food and I cracked open my fortune cookie and here's what it said. It said, action is the proper fruit of knowledge. Action is the proper fruit of knowledge. And I was like, man, 
I guess the Holy Spirit does speak to me through fortune cookies. It at least justified the reason I was eating Chinese food. So, But this fortune cookie, it kind of brought it home for me. As I knew I was preparing for this teaching, I knew that we were going to talk about putting or having a, a faith of action. There has to be steps taken. Once you believe and you, you know all this stuff, are you putting it into practice? Are you putting your money where your mouth is? Are you going out and doing things with your faith and with your knowledge? Which leads us to number six. The next step is brotherly kindness, and that's meeting others' needs like family. For most of us, we would drop anything to support our family, to, to help our family do whatever we could. That's that phileo love, that brotherly love that we have for each other. We have to have that brotherly kindness, which leads us to the last point, number seven, which is love. And that's that agape love, which is love unconditionally and sacrificially. Loving unconditionally and sacrificially. That's the love that Jesus had for us when he died on the cross and said, even though you guys won't believe in me, even though you will mock me, even though you don't love me, I'm still going to sacrifice my life because I love you. No strings attached. And this is kind of the pinnacle of our faith. And the reason that is because what that means is we have to put ourselves aside and love other people. That means we don't judge. It means we don't talk behind their back. It means that we uh, love them no matter what situation uh, they're walking through. We love them no matter what they've done to you. We're still going to love them as Jesus loves them, which is with no strings attached. No matter what, I'm going to love you. It's the love that's described in 1 Corinthians 13 when it says love is patient, love is kind. It's not self-seeking. Love does not fail. It is a perfect untainted love that Jesus has for us. And that's kind of the last step in the process. Once you've gotten there, you've kind of made it. And for a lot of us, that is a huge struggle for us. But we've got to get to the point where we love people as Jesus loves us. And then the third point of Peter's sermon, he begins kind of wrapping it up. He says, you've got the basis of your faith. We've laid the foundation. Here's what God will give you. And here's what your, where your part comes into play. And then he said, here's the result of a growing faith. Here are the results of what happens when we put those into practice. Starting in verse 8, it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So the first result of a growing faith is that it bears fruit. It bears fruit. And Jesus put it this way. He said to his disciples, he told them to abide in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The idea is that when, when Jesus is the vine and we receive nourishment from him, okay, it's not our power, it's not our nourishment, but we are the branch that's taking nourishment from him, you will then bear fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, then we need to go back to these steps and continue to apply them and work through them so that we can bear fruit. Because we are either somebody that is nourishing the people around us, or we're eating their fruit and sucking the life out of them. So which one are you? Are you bearing fruit and nourishing people as God intended? He says, I'm going to give you strength to bear fruit and support those around you. Or are you sucking the life out of those around you? And the second result we see is a growing faith invests in others. A growing faith invests in others. God gave each one of us a story. When we followed Jesus, he saved us from what we, what we deserved. And so you have a story, and God wants you to share it, just like the Cutters shared their story today, their story of faith. We all have a story that God wants us to share. Peter says when we become short-sighted, we forget what God did for us. We can't become short-sighted, which literally means walking through life squinting, 
forgetting that Jesus gave his life for us. We are to carry that with us everywhere we go and tell everybody we come in contact with what Jesus has done for us. He wants you to share your story. And in verse 10, Peter goes on and says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So in first, second Peter chapter 1, he says, you guys need to apply all diligence. You need to add these things to your faith. You need to be growing in your faith. And that same word Peter uses in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, the entrance into the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied to you. The idea is that when we pour ourselves into our faith, Jesus will pour himself into you. And when we, we get to the pinnacle, we get to heaven, it says there's going to be a lavish welcome for those that are pouring into their faith. It's just the same word that is used when Olympians return home victorious in, in, uh, in Greece. They would come home and there would be these huge parties. They would welcome them home, champions, parades, everything they wanted, these lavish parties. And he says it's the same way when we return to heaven. When we are pouring into our faith, God will pour into you a grand entrance. The NIV says it calls it a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. The NLT says it is a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom. Heaven is our motivation. That's where we are striving for. But there are two ways we can be welcomed into heaven. One is that grand entrance. And uh, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a great reward. And that's that grand entrance we talked about. There's a great reward for those of us that are building upon our faith. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. This is important. It says the builder will be saved. This person was a believer. They are saved. But like someone barely escaping through the wall of flame. And so I leave you with this thought today. What will your faith legacy be when you leave this earth? Are you one that's building your faith? That's going to have that lavish welcome when you return home, the angels are rejoicing? Are you one that's kind of stumbling across the finish line, being swooped up from the flames, making it, but barely? What legacy of faith are you leaving behind when you leave here? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue talking about faith faith through trials, and finishing strong in our faith. And as Peter said, it is a great reminder for us that sometimes we need to be reminded over and over and over again of what it takes to make it through and over life's hurdles. And so I encourage you guys to be here the next week as we continue to grow in our faith and strive to be the people that God is calling us to be, to be a great example to those around us. Every single week we come in contact with unbelievers, and God is calling you to do great things. He's calling you to be a person building upon your faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this day, and God, we thank you for your word. We just thank you for the encouragement and the empowerment and the equipping that you give us each and every day through your scriptures, God. I pray today that as we leave this place, that we leave here empowered in our faith to go out and continue working on being better people, to be better servants for you, to be better servants for the people around us, to love people as you've called us to love people. God, that we continue building our faith upon the rock and building our trust and faith in you each and every day. 
I pray this week you go before us, that you guide us into conversations where we can share our story and share what you've done in our lives, God, and share about the hope that we have in you. God, I pray that you protect us this week. We thank you for the cross, because without Jesus, there is no hope, there is no faith, God. We thank you for sending him to die for us, that despite our shortcomings, God, you loved us so much that you made that sacrifice and you would do it again if you had to. But the good thing is you don't. You did it once, and that's all we need. So I just pray that everybody in this room, when we leave here today, we have taken that first step and given our life to Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. We pray that you'll go before us. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.